Imagine getting in a hot, stuffy car in the summer. You know how it cools off much faster when you roll down the windows first to get the hot air out? Well, that's exactly how an Easy Breathe basement ventilation system works. Removing all the musty, damp, stagnant air and replacing it with fresher, cleaner, drier air. Take charge of your air with Easy Breathe ventilation and get $250 off today. Ask about DIY kits. Visit TakeChargeOfYourAir.com or call 866-822-7328. When you have health insurance, it's easy to forget about your out-of-pocket costs. That can be a lot of money. But are your bills accurate? It's estimated over 50% of medical bills contain errors. HealthLock can help. HealthLock technology securely connects with your insurance and flags any overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. To date, HealthLock has helped its members save over $130 million. To save, visit HealthLock.com today. Your credit card should match your lifestyle. At Kemba Financial Credit Union, choose a card with benefits that work for you. For a limited time, all cards have 2% cash back on purchases and 0% interest on balance transfers for a year. Apply at Kemba.org. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Up next, The Truth with Lisa Booth, part of the Gingrich 360 Network. Welcome back to The Truth with Lisa Booth. Ivermectin, you've heard about it in the news. Some say it's a game changer for treating COVID. Others say it's a bunch of nonsense. So who's right? If you've been watching CNN or reading the New York Times, then you probably think ivermectin is just a horse dewormer that a few crazy doctors and conservatives think can treat COVID. That's the message that the media and the medical establishment want you to hear, want you to believe. But the truth is there's substantial evidence showing ivermectin is actually quite effective at treating COVID. Dr. Pierre Corey has poured through all the evidence and is one of the world's leading proponents of ivermectin as a treatment for COVID. And he's someone you should take seriously. Dr. Corey is the president and a founding member of the Frontline COVID-19 Critical Care Alliance. Dr. Corey led ICUs in multiple COVID hotspots, including New York City at the height of the pandemic. And during that time, he also co-authored several influential papers on the virus. Previously, Dr. Corey was a chief of critical care service and the medical director at the Trauma and Life Support Center at the University of Wisconsin. And before that, he was a physician at Beth Israel Medical Center in New York. He's also a pioneer in the use of ultrasound by physicians in the diagnosis and treatment of critically ill patients and has won numerous teaching awards in every hospital that he has worked. But these days, he has been a passionate advocate for ivermectin and a fierce critic of the medical establishment which he believes is more focused on other priorities than ensuring the health of the public. Today, we get to the truth of ivermectin. Dr. Pierre Corey, you know, thank you so much for coming on the show. The Truth with Lisa Booth, this podcast actually started during COVID because I felt like the truth wasn't getting out there about things like lockdown and a lot of the data and information. So I'm really excited to talk to you about ivermectin. Yeah, I appreciate it. I'm glad to have the opportunity to do that. You told a Senate committee last December that ivermectin is effectively a miracle drug against COVID-19. 
What is it? Yeah, so ivermectin is um, is an old medicine. Oh, I guess not very old. It was uh, pretty much discovered in the late 70s and first manufactured and distributed in the 80s, 1980s. It's an anti-parasite drug. Um, and the discoverers of ivermectin actually won the Nobel Prize because that drug actually transformed the global health status of of hundreds of millions of people uh, in, that suffered from parasitic diseases. Uh, one of them was called river blindness, where men, uh, not only men, but uh, adults in a lot of communities in Africa were blind by the age of 40 from this parasite. And so it essentially restored the sight of, of countless people um, across Africa uh, and Asia and even South America. And so it's a really important drug historically. Um, and the WHO actually has distributed across continents uh, hundreds of millions of doses. In fact, four billion doses have been uh, used in humans over the last four decades. So it's a really uh, well-known and, and, and famous drug where the discoverers won the Nobel Prize for it. And so that's what it, that's what it originally was discovered to do. But over about 10 years ago, it was discovered in the lab that it was really effective against a number of viruses. And so like Zika and West Nile and dengue and even HIV and influenza, it was showing that, you know, at the bench, it was it was it was showing that it could stop viral replication of a number of uh, viruses similar to coronavirus. So how in terms of using it to combat COVID-19, you know, how is it best used against it? Well, there's a number of ways you can use it. Actually, I would say there's there's sort of four phases you could use it in. And, and that's what makes it sort of an, just this incredible drug. And as my colleague um, and sort of mentor who first actually identified uh, that we needed, you know, I'm, I'm part of a group. I'm part of an organization. We're just five experts in medicine, uh, highly published, very credible. Um, we all have had uh, many contributions to medicine and are all actually very well known prior to the pandemic for our individual contributions. And, you know, we'd been researching everything COVID since it started. I mean, we just did nothing but read papers, exchange papers, and we were looking at all the therapeutics, all of the trials. And we, you know, Paul, uh, Paul Marek, he, he identified ivermectin as, as looking just really good uh, probably early October, about a year ago. And we started looking into it as a group, and I, I wrote a review paper with the group, and we immersed ourselves in all of the trials data and we just were overwhelmed. And so um, we, that, and that's what led to my testimony where I really uh, spoke very forcefully about the, the critical need to use it. And so how would you use it in COVID? Well, the strongest data is in prevention. It's actually this wickedly potent preventative. So if you take it regularly, um, your chances of getting COVID are drastically reduced, especially if you take it, uh, you know, like weekly. Some of the trials are showing near 100% protection. Some are showing 100% protection or well over 90. Um, some trials where they take like healthcare workers once a month are even showing you know, 70 to 80% protection. So that's the prevention data. Then you have early treatment, which is different. You wouldn't just take one dose. You would take, you know, a higher dose for some days in a row, two, three, five days. We now advocate for five days. Um, and you can use it early treatment. And especially the earlier you start, people turn around immediately. Um, they really start to feel better very quickly. And we just see these consistent, amazing responses with it. And that, that's been described by lots of doctors around the world. And then later on in hospital, you have to use much higher doses Less effective as a single agent there, but we use combinations of therapies in the hospital, and that's you know one of them in the in the protocol. And then 
the last, which is incredible, is in long haul COVID. Um, that's been just incredible story. Like we use it in long haulers and boy, do they respond. We've had so many people who are like, I've had a number of patients who are effectively disabled with long haul, just couldn't function, fatigued all the time, dizzy, high heart rates, sweaty, like all, all these odd, like sort of what we call autonomic symptoms that went away with ivermectin. Um, the challenge with long haul is that we're finding that they actually need to stay on it. So they have, most of my patients with long haul, they take two to three doses a week. And if they miss a dose or try to stop or I try to wean them off, a lot of their symptoms come back. And so we still haven't figured out how to cure it, but we're definitely managing it really well. And how safe is it? It's one of the safest drugs known to man. So don't believe everything you read. This, you know, I'm just going to speak frankly because I'm really done. I've been doing this for a year and I'm just going to tell you what, what I'm seeing and just the absurdity. But this controversy around ivermectin, I need to be clear, it's not controversy. It's corruption masquerading as controversy. It is what happens when you have a repurposed drug that threatens the financial interests of the pharmaceutical industry. They've been doing this for years. Ivermectin is not unique at all. I mean, ivermectin is a repurposed drug, and the pharmaceutical industry has been at war with repurposed drugs for decades. And so when you see all of this stuff that they put out and in trying to inject, you know, controversy or doubt or distorting or suppressing the data around ivermectin, it's just part of a playbook of, of those who have, you know, deep financial interest in making sure that ivermectin is not recognized as an effective therapeutic. And so, you know, these concerns on safety is just bizarre. I mean, it's not only bizarre, it's actually just absolutely false. In the WHO documents themselves, their guidelines for treating parasitic diseases, they repeatedly state that ivermectin, the side effects are generally minor and transient. One of the world experts who did a safety review of ivermectin said that severe side effects are unequivocally and exceedingly rare. It's not toxic to the liver. It's not toxic to the kidneys. It's not toxic to the lungs. And like I said, it's distributed across continents to people, old, young, infirm, morbidities for decades. And we have tons of safety data now in COVID, even at very high doses and for extended durations. And so there's not one lack of a safety. There's not one signal that shows that it's not safe. And so even in overdoses, so in the safety review, there's actually not one documented accepted instance of a death directly caused by ivermectin, even in massive overdoses. So massive overdoses, people have gotten sick, they go to the hospital and with just supportive care, they're, they're better in two to three days. But those are like, you can count them on one hand, the amount of times that's been reported. And so the, the safety is just unparalleled, absolutely unparalleled. Well, it isn't part of the problem as you see the media and the FDA, you know, they're trying to label it as a horse dewormer because it does have purposes for both livestock and for humans. But isn't part of the challenges, you know, you have people taking dosages that they shouldn't be taking because obviously a dosage meant for a cow or horse that weighs like a thousand pounds or, you know, more than a ton is is not going to be healthy for a human being. Right. And so isn't that part of the challenge there or, or what? It, what is that? So the challenge is this. Uh, I would reframe that, which is that without guidance from the health agencies, and you're not going to get that, right? So, so the health agents are firmly opposed to ivermectin. Um, 
again, I'm sorry, but there, we, we are seeing one of the grossest and most absurd examples of regulatory capture in history. Right. So those agencies, what I call the alphabet agencies, are, are literally acting under the sole intent and guidance of the pharmaceutical industry. It, it, it's absolutely clear there's abundant amounts of evidence. And it's not just around ivermectin. It's around remdesivir. It's around the vaccines. And so to, to, to ask for guidance from them on, to people on how to uh, or providers how to prescribe and how to dose it, they're not giving it. So you're creating a situation where, unfortunately, people who, you know, have followed the data, they follow credible scientists like myself and my organization, they understand its efficacy and they hear the reports from around the world and they want to use it. And so, unfortunately, they're, they're having to self-prescribe. Now, those reports of overdoses where people are filling ERs, you, you understand that, Lisa, right? Those were completely false, like totally false and have been debunked. And so no one's filling up ERs with overdoses. The calls to the poison control center, I, the vast majority of people asking questions because they were forced to take animal uh, veterinary products because no one's going to prescribe it or very few doctors are prescribing. So it, it's just an unfortunate situation of, of a war on a very safe, old, cheap, and repurposed drug. And so it's not being made available, and there's not good guidance on, on how to use it. And so I think these people are unfortunately – Having to self-prescribe, they're going to make mistakes, but I got to tell you, it has such a wide margin of safety around dosing that, I mean, every time I read an article about people overdosing, I mean, I, I laugh. I mean, literally, it's very hard to do that. And just because you take a horse paste, I mean, it clearly says on the box, you know, that this, this much for a 1,000-pound horse, this much for a 250-pound horse. So just because you're taking a horse paste doesn't mean that you're going to overdose. And so um, now, again, I cannot advocate for veterinary products. Um, I feel bad for those people who resort to that. But, you know, it's like a colleague said, you know, it's like someone who's dying of thirst who's forced to, to drink out of a muddy creek. It's, it's a truly unfortunate situation. And our organization has been working tirelessly trying to get the agencies, trying to get someone to provide guidance to providers, or at least a weak recommendation, some recommendation, and they refuse to do so. Why are they so against it? I mean, as you mentioned, the alphabet agencies, you've got the FDA, the NIH, the World Health Organization, the Journal of American Medical Association, you know, all against ivermectin for usage uh, to combat COVID. Why are they so against it? So there's many reasons. And again, I hate sounding like a conspiracy theorist, but you know, when I said regulatory capture, the WHO has been well documented to be under the influence of the pharmaceutical industry and or philanthropy organizations, which are um, very heavily vaccine influenced. And so it's viewed as an opponent to vaccine policy. That's one is that the one one argument is that in the EUA, so the emergency use author, authorization for these vaccines, it's dependent on the fact that there is no effective treatment for the disease. Because if you have an effective treatment for the disease, if you played by the rules, the EUAs could, would have to be rescinded for the vaccines, right? So there's, there's that. That's a very clear and almost legal incentive to ensure that ivermectin is not recognized. So that would be one. The second is the list of financial interests that would be really kind of smashed if ivermectin was widely used and adopted is a really long list, right? So number one, um, number one is just something like remdesivir. 
I mean, in, we're seeing in health ministries around the world that are using this in early test and treat programs, like well over 70, 80% of people are avoiding hospital. And so you would literally decrease hospitalizations on the order, and that's the minimum of what it would be capable of, of 70, 80, 90%. And so the appetite for remdesivir would dry up. There are competing oral antivirals that are in the pipeline from Merck and, and Pfizer. And they want to bring those to market, and that would be a huge bonanza for them in a pandemic to bring an oral antiviral for early treatment. If ivermectin is in that market, I mean, what happens to that? They have no market for that. And so, again, I'm just stating, it's, I've had a front row seat to this. I've seen the attacks. I've seen the distortions, the misrepresentations, the, 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 false, the false statements that are coming out of those agencies. It, it's, it's, it's just been, it's been a horror show, to be honest. And I, I've had an education of a lifetime. I'll never be the same again. And I, I just, my only hopes is that when this story is written, and the history books uh, are written, and hopefully within a year or two when this comes out, is that we, we, we stop this system. I mean, we're in a system where we literally are driven. It's basically run on for-profit medicines. There's no appetite and there's no pathway for nonprofit medicines to make it. And, and it's killing people. And that's why I hope this system blows up. Well, I mean, I, I would love to see that. I don't trust any of these people. And, and you talk about the profit-driven aspect of it. I mean, you look at the COVID vaccine as Pfizer's top seller alone. You know, they're going to make over $33 billion from the two-dose regimen by itself, not even including the additional amount of money they're going to make from boosters and then, you know, how many boosters they actually end up forcing people to get. So it's so much money involved here. So what's interesting is that other countries has have used ivermectin uh, like India. Endless. Yeah. Talk about India. Yeah. So, Lisa, you just mentioned, right, this this endless this endless horizon of these just astronomical profits that stand to be gained from from a market of of just endless vaccines and boosters. Right. Meanwhile. Right. One of the most incredible stories in and I think one of the most major public health achievements in history was just realized in, in the state of Uttar Pradesh in India, right? So it's a state in northern India. It has a population of 241 million people, which is basically like a country two-thirds the size of the United States. I think it would be like the seventh or eighth largest country if it was a country. And that state is unique because they adopted ivermectin, they, they first started prophylaxing healthcare workers with, with hydroxychloroquine a year ago. Then they did a study where they started giving healthcare workers ivermectin, and they noticed that almost none of the healthcare workers were getting sick. And so that state then put it into a policy throughout the state. And they not only started doing prevention of healthcare, of all healthcare workers, but they started using it in early treatment. And they started using it in prevention of household contacts. And what they did is, it's such an incredible story what they did, but they had also a massive public health contact tracing. They had 70,000 healthcare workers, all on ivermectin, and they went to all of the households. So they did contact tracing and surveillance. Every household, every positive test, they visited the house. They gave ivermectin and treatment to the person who's sick. They gave it to um, the, house, the household contacts. And using that strategy, they did incredibly well in the fall. And they, did, they had some of the best numbers in the world until April, May. 
when that huge crisis overwhelmed India, and what happened in Uttar Pradesh is they had about 3 million migrant workers who worked in cities around India who all fled the impending lockdowns. Um, and they fled back to Uttar Pradesh. So there was this huge, like, surge of cases. Um, but what Uttar Pradesh did was, it's just so smart. Like, what they did should be the playbook for the world. But they went to all the train stations and bus stations and airports, and they tested, they treated, they followed. And their cliff-like drop was just impressive. So this huge meteoric rise and then a sudden drop because they knew how to extinguish this surge. Okay, let's talk about what they achieved since then. They continued on with that policy and with their program. And in the last two weeks, we've been waiting for this. I've been waiting for granular data because we can see the epidemiologic data. But in the last two weeks, finally, the health officials of Uttar Pradesh are now coming out. They're sharing really granular data and they're doing interviews. And basically what happened in that state is they've effectively eradicated COVID. So in the last week... Uh, there was an article last week that showed that in prior week of the 226,000 tests that were done in the previous actually 24 hours, uh, only 11 were positive, which is like a positive rate of like 0.004, which is indescribable and effectively zero. And then in the prior two weeks, they had done two and a half million tests. And only 201 were positive, which is like a 0.007%, effectively zero. And they, they have like, uh, out of 75 districts in that state of 241 million people, I think 65 of them have no active cases of COVID. And so, so when you talk about that endless mill of money to be made from vaccines, you're talking about a huge portion of the globe, which is 241 million people who've eradicated COVID. And you know what their vaccination rate is, Lisa? 5% fully vaccinated. Such a racket. So they did not do it with the vaccines. And now can you understand why there's so much opposition to ivermectin? Let's take a quick commercial break and then back with Dr. Corey on the other side. Win the battle of your musty, damp basement with an Easy Breathe ventilation system. Take charge of your indoor air. It's easy with basement ventilation to remove musty odors, pollutants, allergens, and airborne particles by 85%. An Easy Breathe ventilation system creates air exchanges for cleaner, fresher, healthy indoor air. And right now, get $250 off your own Easy Breathe ventilation system. Call 866-822-7328 or visit TakeChargeOfYourAir.com today. Let me run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years. They connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. Want an experienced set of eyes on a contract fine print? Or you finally want to get that will done? Legal Shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back, no matter what the future brings. Sign up today at LegalShield.com forward slash iHeart. PPLSI does not provide legal representation or advice. See a plan for complete terms. Your credit card should match your lifestyle. At Kemba Financial Credit Union, choose a card with benefits that work for you. For a limited time, all cards have 2% cash back on purchases and 0% interest on balance transfers for a year. Apply at Kemba.org. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. 
thinking of popping the question? Diamonds Direct has an offer you can't miss. This month only, buy a natural diamond engagement ring of one carat plus and receive a free natural one carat diamond tennis bracelet valued at $2,000. Imagine giving her the ring of her dreams and her wedding gift all at once. No one provides education, selection, and value like Diamonds Direct. Your chance to get a free tennis bracelet from your friends at Diamonds Direct won't last long. Details at DiamondsDirect.com. So you've compared what's happening today with ivermectin to Dr. Fauci and the NIH not recognizing the efficacy of Bactrim, I think I'm pronouncing it right, for AIDS in the 1980s. What are the parallels there for the folks at home who are sort of unaware of that? So the parallel, the, the closest parallel is during the HIV epidemic, you know, smart doctors, I call them frontline doctors who are actually seeing HIV and treating them. You know, they started to see that many of the young, mostly young men in the beginning, right, were dying of this pneumonia, right, which everyone knows as PCP pneumonia, which is actually a fungus. And they knew, I mean, it's, this is like, I mean, it's just so straightforward. But like, those doctors knew that there was a lot of literature that when, P, when PCP pneumonia occurred in leukemia patients who were severely immunosuppressed, it was really successfully treated with Bactrim, right? And so <laughs> it wasn't a stretch to use Bactrim in these young men dying of AIDS. And those that were using Bactrim saw that it worked. And so they, they really, they went to the NIH and they were saying, please provide guidance. Like, you should prove or recommend Bactrim for the treatment of HIV and PCP pneumonia. And what did they do, Lisa? They did not do that. They refused to provide guidance or recommendations on a repurposed drug for the treatment of this deadly pneumonia that was killing, uh, um, you know, young gay or HIV infected. They weren't all gay, right? Women started to get HIV very soon after that. And so, you know, there's thousands of people who died because of lack of guidance around using this cheap and repurposed drug Bactrim. And the thoughts were that they were testing some other for-profit drugs and they were looking for new HIV antivirals. And at one point, some ludicrous public health official actually said, oh, now that we have AZT, you won't need Bactrim for, for PJP because they thought they had a cure for it. I mean, the whole thing is crazy. But the point is, frontline docs knew what was working. They didn't need a big randomized control trial. They knew something was effective. Um, they knew the mechanisms. And yet you didn't get the agencies listening to them and following their guidance. Ivermectin is the same. Frontline docs have long known in this pandemic from as early as last year um, in March and April, those who started using it, they've known that this was wickedly effective against this virus. And that number of docs who've understood that is increasing and increasing and increasing. And in this country, it's increasing. So, so to put things in context, what I call Farmageddon, right? So what's today? Today's like September 22nd or something. You know, Farmageddon started like two and a half weeks ago. And it's, it's what I call this just insane battle against ivermectin, which hit the media and the late night shows and all of those horse paste articles and all of these attacks, right? As this, you know, people eating horse paste and it's an animal drug and all of this insane stuff. You know what triggered that? What triggered that was that the prescriptions for ivermectin in this country were going through the roof. Doctors and patients were learning that this is highly effective against COVID. And so what happened is, you know, now, now we're in an all-out war. 
And it's really a war on people and the doctors who know that there's an effective, cheap drug. You know how cheap this is, by the way? It costs six cents for a 12 milligram tablet to make six cents. And so, you know, that's the parallel is that, again, they, they, wanna, they want to have some for-profit for drugs to treat this illness. They, they want to make room for the for-profit drugs. And if, you, if, you, if, if ivermectin, uh, you know, gets thrown in, you're going to dry up anything for all those other drugs. Well, and it's also a war on the truth as well. I mean, YouTube has taken down some of your videos. Facebook has blocked some of your content as well. Uh, I mean, what's your response to that censorship? At this point, unsurprised. I mean, I, I totally understand why they're doing it. I mean, it, it, all of the actions are with one goal, is they really need to suppress ivermectin. Again, you know, going back to the same thing, the opposition to ivermectin is so vast, so deep, so wide ranging that, I mean, it's this little cheap repurposed drug and it's getting, you know, part of us, like we kind of chuckle because we like, when we see the bazookas that they're bringing out and like, like I said, this Farmageddon, like we know it's cause, <laughs> because it works, right? If it didn't work, do you think they'd have to do all this? No, they wouldn't care because it doesn't work. Right? They know it works. That's why you're seeing a war on it. What's been the impact of all of this on you? For for because as you mentioned, you know, frontline doctors are the people we should be listening. You you've been on the front lines fighting COVID in the ICU unit units. What's been this response on you, just professionally and personally, as you've kind of been demonized by people and some of your peers? Like, what's the cost for speaking out? The personal cost on me. Um, you know, I'm exhausted. I'm just exhausted all the time. Um, I, I, you know, it's, it's, it's been really infuriating. It's sad. It's distressing. It's, It's a lot of negative things, but at the same time, you know, I've gotten to build like a network of colleagues and relationships of like minded doctors who know the truth and are fighting for the truth. And so like my organization, right, which is called the Frontline COVID-19 Critical Care Alliance or the FLCCC, you know, there are little FLCCCs uh, all over the world. Like Canada has one, UK has one. And like, I know all the doctors and scientists in all those organizations who understand the truth. They're all fighting against the regulatory agencies in, in all of their countries. And so, the relationships that I've built and the amount that I've learned has been like really, really satisfying. And then most importantly is like, despite all of the attacks, they said, do you know how many people that were like, whose lives are saved? How many people who like turn around on the dime? I mean, how many people avoid hospitalization? I mean, it's literally hundreds of thousands, if not millions around the world. And I even can't get my head around that. Um, and that's why we do what we do. And, and we know, you know, you know, like a friend told me last week, and I really like to stay me, he said, there's only three things that are guaranteed to come out, the sun, the moon, and the truth. And, and the problem with the truth in this respect is that um, it's taking a while for this truth to come out, but it's coming. I mean, this, this um, Udar Pradesh story cannot be kept under wraps for too long. And, and there's been similar stories, like Mexico City emptied their hospitals last winter with an early test and treatment program. That paper is out. Um, I mean, and like I said, the, the prescriptions in this country, despite Farmageddon, of two and a half weeks of, of attacks on it, are increasing. 
you know, like the, the people are understanding that there is an effective drug and they're, you know, the doctors are now understanding. And so um, I'm really encouraged. Uh, but the, the attacks are really tiresome and the lies, the constant lies everywhere and misrepresentations and the implications of that is I'm, I'm somewhat numb to it now because like I've gotten used to the fact that people are going to be dying and they're going to continue to die as a result of this suppression of, of a scientific truth, which is this is a highly effective medicine in COVID. Well, it's also just all bizarre because if you think the interest was saving lives, you would want an all of the above approach, right? To, to try to use, you know, to, to use everything in the fight against COVID. And instead, it's like you take the vaccine or else. So it's it's just it's it's very bizarre. I don't know if you know who Brett Weinstein is, but he's this evolutionary biologist, and I, I've gotten to be friends with him, and I did a podcast with him. But you know, he talks about like when you look at the anomalies, you know, the the aberrancies, the abnormal abnormal sort of actions that are being taken. You know, you really have to wonder like what's what's going on here, right? So the fact that they don't adopt and they're fighting against an early treatment, which we know should be paired with the vaccines, right? It's not necessarily an enemy. You can use it, you know, an all-hands-on-deck approach and really try to, uh, you know, go after this pandemic with everything you have. That's one abnormality. The other one that's really bizarre is this this overwhelming obsession with vaccinating and vaccinating those who've had the illness, right? And and so it's just, there's some things that aren't making sense, right? And so... It, you know, and then you have to wonder what drives those behaviors. And I got to tell you, it comes back to the same thing that these agencies are captured. They're not acting in the best interest that the public health of the citizens is not primary. And I have to tell you something. I went into this pandemic actually trusting that that was their primary goal and that's their only interest. And I'll tell you this. I think many people who work in those agencies actually do believe that and that those are their careers and that is their goal. But they're not the leaders. And I think to become, you know, on the top of those agencies and actually direct and make the final decisions, you don't get there by doing the right thing and saying the right thing. I, I think you only get there if you know how to play well with the pharmaceutical companies. And, and that's, that's the tragedy. I don't want to impugn, you know, all of the, the fine people who work in those agencies. But I will tell you, the ultimate direction of those agencies are, are certainly not influenced of the public health as, as the primary goal. It doesn't make sense. The behaviors do not line up to suggest that. Well, it also, you know, a lot of this seems political in the sense of, uh, you know, you had the White House push boosters before the FDA had even voted or given approval to the booster shots. Uh, and then you had two top two top people at the FDA step down or FDA rather step down because of that. So it seems like it's more. You know, Joe Biden wants to hit X percentage of Americans have been vaccinated for political purposes versus, you know, is, versus is this really in the best interest of all? I've just been like lamenting for months, like, where are the whistleblowers? I mean, you know, there, some of them have come out and, you know, there, there is, you know, one that came out in Arkansas. They have a lawyer and there's a lawsuit there. You know, the FDA, the two FDA officials you know, resigning. I mean, I think that's almost like blowing a whistle that, you know, things are not right. I mean, um, I, I just think we need more. Um, and that's the other sad truth is that, you know, I spoke out, I've left two jobs. One I resigned from the other one, I was essentially forced to resign because they were going to really just take away all of my first amendment rights. And I, I said, I'm not going to, I'm not going to subject myself to that. But, you know, what I've learned is 
I don't want to put people down for this, but very few people are willing to walk away from a job and their livelihoods. And, and I just find that sad because I, I, I know there's a lot of people who know the truth in those agencies and, and very few are coming out. They don't want to blow up their careers. And I get that. So you got COVID. Were you taking ivermectin at the time or did you use it to? Yeah. Yeah. So here's the thing, right? So I've been attacked for that as well. Oh, this jerk, you know, is saying that it's preventive against COVID and he got COVID. Listen, I am open and honest. So what happened was um, we were doing once a week uh, prophylaxis. And um, I actually got, I was like uh, the eighth day, I hadn't taken it. And I got it like right around there. I was probably exposed on day six or seven since my last dose. But the same day that I got sick, I, f- I got my first reports in like seven months of, of breakthroughs. And what, what the thing is, is Delta variant has 250 times the viral load of the prior variants. I mean, it's got this huge viral burden. That's why it's so wickedly transmissible. It's one of the reasons. And, you know, the higher the viral burden, the, more, the higher the dose you need to combat it. And so what we found is we needed to change our strategy. And so... Although we had breakthroughs, we also found, so I have colleagues in Brazil who've been using prophylaxis, and they say, um, here, let me tell you a really cool anecdote. So one of, um, one of our newest members of the FLCCC is this incredible researcher clinician from Brazil. His name is Flavio Caragiani, and he's done a number of clinical trials on a, a bunch of different molecules in, um, in, in COVID. He's made some really great discoveries, but he led a medical mission. He left the capital. They were doing, they were doing research and clinical missions throughout the uh, Amazon. And they were visiting city after city during a time of what's called the gamma variant. And if you've heard of the gamma variant, you probably haven't heard of it because it's really just been down in Brazil and in parts of South America. But it's extremely violent, meaning it moves fast, like from the first symptom to like whited out lungs and needing hospital and high amounts of oxygen. Sometimes it's two to three days. And so it's really a, a wicked one. And they were doing very well with combination therapies. And then when gamma came they started really losing patients and they, they had to learn and, you know, they figured out some different treatment strategies. But here's the thing. They're traveling through the Amazon and they're literally seeing cities and hospitals under collapse, city after city that they visit, you know, running out of oxygen, full of, uh, you know, hospitals at capacity, many people dying. And then they visit this city called Coari. I think it's C-O-A-R-I. And they get there and they see that the hospital is like not overwhelmed. It's not that crazy. And it's very different from all the other cities they visited. And and so he's talking to the health minister of that city and she's being a little evasive. And finally she like admits to him that for many, many weeks they had been distributing ivermectin to the city's population, not only in prevention, but in treatment. And what was interesting is many people were taking it in prevention there were still a lot of cases. There were still a lot of cases there, but they were all generally mild and very few needed the hospital. So almost uniformly, they would avoid hospital if you were on ivermectin beforehand. So it's not like that they didn't see cases. And that was even a wilder variant than Delta. And also they weren't act. They were taking it like every seven to 10 days and, and not a very big dose. And so I'm just saying that, that like to get sick while you're on ivermectin can happen but it's generally mild. And so it's still quite preventative. So it avoids severe disease. And so um, when I got it, I have to tell you that, you know, I wasn't going to hide that fact. 
I, I thought it was, I had a moral and ethical responsibility to say, you know what, I was on prevention and I got sick. And what, we, what we're taking from this is we need a higher dose or a higher frequency. And so we, we now moved our protocol to take twice a week uh, for prevention. And so anyway, that's my story on, on prevention and with these new, uh, more violent variants. Quick break, more on ivermectin after the commercial break. Imagine getting in a hot, stuffy car in the summer. You know how it cools off much faster when you roll down the windows first to get the hot air out? Well, that's exactly how an Easy Breathe basement ventilation system works. Removing all the musty, damp, stagnant air and replacing it with fresher, cleaner, drier air. Take charge of your air with Easy Breathe ventilation and get $250 off today. Ask about DIY kits. Visit TakeChargeOfYourAir.com or call 866-822-7328. Let me run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years. They connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. Want an experienced set of eyes on a contract fine print? Or you finally want to get that will done? Legal Shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back, no matter what the future brings. Sign up today at LegalShield.com forward slash iHeart. PPLSI does not provide legal representation or advice. See a plan for complete terms. Your credit card should match your lifestyle. At Kemba Financial Credit Union, choose a card with benefits that work for you. For a limited time, all cards have 2% cash back on purchases and 0% interest on balance transfers for a year. Apply at Kemba.org. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Thinking of popping the question? Diamonds Direct has an offer you can't miss. This month only, buy a natural diamond engagement ring of 1 carat plus and receive a free natural 1 carat diamond tennis bracelet valued at $2,000. Imagine giving her the ring of her dreams and her wedding gift all at once. No one provides education, selection, and value like Diamonds Direct. Your chance to get a free tennis bracelet from your friends at Diamonds Direct won't last long. Details at DiamondsDirect.com. You'd mentioned, I want to talk to you about a, the hospital and ICU capacity. So that's been a big reference point throughout the entire you know pandemic with COVID is talking about hospitals and ICU units across the country, recent capacity. But don't, I mean, I guess where I struggle to find the truth on this is don't most hospitals and ICU units operate almost near capacity for resource purposes, even before yeah. COVID? Yeah. Like, I guess, how much of that story is true? Let me talk about what happened in New York last year. So when New York had its first surge, that literally was hospitals overwhelmed. And it was something I'll never forget. So I used to be the critical care service chief and the director of the ICU at University of Wisconsin, but I'm a New Yorker. And I actually resigned from the University of Wisconsin to go back to New York because they were, they were just getting crushed and they needed intensivists. Um, and I went back and what I saw was literally hospitals way over capacity. Um, you know, there was one system in New York that going into that surge, they had 95 operational ICU beds. And in two and a half weeks, they had to create uh, 350. And you don't have enough ICU specialists. You don't have enough ICU nurses. And so that all sorts of doctors and nurses who are unfamiliar with critical care having to manage ICU beds. So that was clearly a point and a surge that overwhelmed systems. Now, what is going on now with the Delta variant? So um, 
Since that early time, different hospitals now know how to scale capacity a little bit. Um, and so, for instance, a hospital that I work at now, they built a dedicated ICU for COVID. And we were pretty full in July. We had a lull in August um, where we actually emptied that COVID ICU. And so we only had a few other patients in the main ICU. And now that one's full again. But we're managing it. We're not overwhelmed, but there's some capacity that was able to be absorbed. And so I think a lot of hospitals are able to absorb some of the excess capacity through the new surge, because this is not our first rodeo now, right? We've been doing this for a while. But I do have colleagues, like, for instance, in Tennessee, like in August, in July and August, they literally were overwhelmed. They said they had no more ICU beds. They, you know, there were, you know, many, many kids were going to the hospital. Like, the things I was hearing from close colleagues were really, really bad, um, but now that's lessening, right? So there are like surges happening and then they recede. And I think some hospitals know how to absorb or now scale a little bit to capacity. But to your other question, which is, you know, in normal times, don't we usually have full ICUs? And here's the interesting part about that. So as a physician, one of my core responsibilities is to decide who needs ICU or not. When we have empty beds, I'm allowed to be a little bit more liberal. So if I go see a patient and they're kind of sick, I'm, I'm somewhat worried about them, you know, I'll put them in the ICU if I have a lot of capacity. I'm just an abundance of caution. But if we're really full and I go see a patient sometimes in the regular medical wards, even if they look kind of quite ill, you know, sometimes I don't take them. And so you understand what I'm saying? So it's like what happens in COVID is like we were managing increasingly, like for instance, in New York, the acuity level on the regular hospital floors that we were managing were, were, were light years beyond what um, I had seen in my career. We were leaving very sick patients out of the ICU. Um, and so... Again, and in fact, I, you know, I teach medicine and a lot of my trainees in my specialty, I was telling them, I'm like, what you're learning here <laughs> is not what I learned. I said, you know, and they understood. I said, we usually do not leave these kind of uh, severely ill patients in regular medical wards. And so, so that's the part you don't see like on the ground level, we're making clinical decisions according to capacity. And so... I don't know. Is that a part answer to your question? It's it's a complicated one. Yeah. So it, it's it's nuanced. Is basically. Yeah, it's nuanced. Very nuanced. Yeah. Let's take a break and then back to Doctor Corey. Win the battle of your musty, damp basement with an Easy Breathe ventilation system. Take charge of your indoor air. It's easy. With basement ventilation to remove musty odors, pollutants, allergens, and airborne particles by 85%. An Easy Breathe ventilation system creates air exchanges for cleaner, fresher, healthy indoor air. And right now, get $250 off your own Easy Breathe ventilation system. Call 866-822-7328 or visit TakeChargeOfYourAir.com today. Let me run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years. They connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. Want an experienced set of eyes on a contract fine print? Or you finally want to get that will done? Legal Shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back, no matter what the future brings. Sign up today at LegalShield.com forward slash iHeart. PPLSI does not provide legal representation or advice. See a plan for complete terms. 
Your credit card should match your lifestyle. At Kemba Financial Credit Union, choose a card with benefits that work for you. For a limited time, all cards have 2% cash back on purchases and 0% interest on balance transfers for a year. Apply at Kemba.org. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Thinking of popping the question? Diamonds Direct has an offer you can't miss. This month only, buy a natural diamond engagement ring of 1 carat plus and receive a free natural 1 carat diamond tennis bracelet valued at $2,000. Imagine giving her the the ring of her dreams and her wedding gift all at once no one provides education selection and value like diamonds direct your chance to get a free tennis bracelet from your friends at diamonds direct won't last long details at diamondsdirect.com covid vaccines they're the fastest vaccines ever created and proved ever you know previously i think the vaccine the fastest vaccine to go from development to deployment was the mumps vaccine in the 1960s it took four years I mean, can you get a vaccine through the approval process without cutting corners that quickly? I can just say it's on an unprecedented speed. And, you know, with medicine as in anything with science, with speed, you raise the risk of making errors. And and, and that's all I'm going to say. I'm not a vaccine expert, but yes, I think your statement is true. It's extremely fast. And, um, you know, what I actually believe is that speed in which they developed and rolled them out might have been reasonable in the fog of war, right? Like we were in a really tough time, uh, especially last winter. Um, but I also think that, you know, with time, you need to continue to collect the data on efficacy and safety, and that should be transparent. And my only issue with the vaccines and the data is I just don't find the data transparent. They're not sharing it. It's all in newspaper articles. And it's very unsatisfying to someone who, you know, I, I like to look and analyze data. And so do my colleagues. And we're just, it's, we just, we see a lot of talk of the data, but we don't actually see the data. And so that's my concern. But I think that's, that's the key is that you need to continue to look at data. I mean, they did a rush last year, but um, you know, continue to look at data, but provide the data. <laughs> that's the other thing. So that's all I'll say about that. Well, and to your point, you know, I support right to try. So I support trying to get the vaccine to market under emergency use authorization for, you know, a, an 85 year old who could die if they get COVID. But now we're forcing the vaccine on, you know, so many people around the country who, who probably don't need the vaccine and also only one of them has even been approved and then that approval process was incredibly fast yet we're forcing Americans to get the vaccine it's just insane to me and to your point about the transparency regarding you know deaths and and vaccine injury I mean like I know VAERS you know people try to condemn VAERS however the CDC and the government uses it as an early reporting system so it does have benefit and it is also a good comparison tool to look at deaths and injury from COVID vaccines versus other ones, because if you think the information is skewed for COVID, it would be skewed for everything. So we've seen, you know, 7,899 reports of death from the COVID vaccine. Again, it's self-reporting. The information has not been, you know, entirely examined. So you have to take it with a grain of salt. Uh, But, you know, we've also seen recent studies showing heart problems are a much bigger risk than previously thought. You know, how much vaccine injury are, are, are you seeing in the hospital, in the ICU, or some of your colleagues? You know, that's a hard number from, from a one-person perspective. And my, but I certainly have seen a number of um, very severe blood clots so that have occurred within the weeks after a vaccine. And then, you know, what I've been concerned about is I've had a number of cases in the last month or two where an elderly patient like came in 
with like a pneumonia, which is very common. Many people die attending their lives with pneumonia and um, had, or, or sepsis. And so they came in with these conditions that are rather normal for me to take care of in the elderly. But the families would like spontaneously tell me that he wasn't the same since the vaccine or like he he seemed to be, you know, dwindling or not not the same and his health seemed to suffer. And and, you know, I, I just found that concerning that that families would would notice that, that they saw people. So like they didn't die of a vaccine injury, but it seemed like something predisposed them to have the illness that brought them before me. And again, I I can't say how common that is, but I've I've definitely seen cases of that. So, you know, asking an individual doctor and then, you know, as an outpatient, I've definitely had people in my circle and, um, uh, uh, you know, through friends and family network who have, who have definitely come to me with, um, you know, problems after vaccines. But again, that's hard to quantitate or put into context. No, I mean, I've had I went to go get an antibody test. I won't say where, but I had uh, two of the nurses I talked to said that they were seeing an increase in heart injury from the vaccine, particularly at young people. So I just I just don't think I just don't think that we're being told the truth about all this. And, I, and I'm not I'm not anti the covid vaccine. I'm not I'm, I'm not I'm not for or against anything. I'm just for the truth. And I just don't feel like we're yeah, I'm for data and the truth. And I just don't feel like we're getting it from people. And I certainly, certainly don't think anyone should be mandated for sake of having a job to get something that one, you know, three of the vaccines or no, uh, two of the three aren't even FDA approved. And then the other has been rushed through. And then we have no one for, you know, we're not really getting the real truth about potential injury. It just should not be mandated on anyone. I just think that's disgusting. And my concerns is that all the data, whatever data is being shared, um, is actually artificial because all the data on efficacy and safety and everything, it's artificial because you're not including effective early treatment options in the equation. So, so like if people could get treatment with, you know, early treatment, the effects of the vaccine would be much less impressive. You know, like the story I told you where the, you know, even though there were cases, very few went to hospital. And so, you know, I just feel like we're not getting a full picture of the way in which you can address this illness. So this this maniacal singular focus on vaccines, you know, as the, as the only way to end the pandemic, it, it's ignoring the fact that there are other options that we're not using. And so, um, again, I'm for early treatment. And, you know, the other thing I want to tell you, Lisa, is that what's fascinating as a physician in this pandemic is ivermectin is not the only thing that works early on. There's a number of other compounds and molecules that are really effective early on. There's actually another antiparasite drug, which is highly effective, called nitazoxanide. Um, there are antiviral uh, nasal drops and mouth uh, washes that you can do because all the viral burden is actually in the nose and pharynx and, like, throat. And you can actually kind of sanitize or sterilize those areas with uh, viricidal, which is, like, virus-killing solutions, and that alters trajectory incredibly. There's a number of studies showing that the hospitalization rates, if you do regular like povidone iodine nasal drops um, with, with these vericidal mouthwashes, I mean, they're like 20 times less than if you didn't. And so there's, there's just a bunch of approaches. And now, now we have like new medicines that uh, suppress androgen activity, which is like testosterone, um, because what we recognize with COVID is men fare a lot worse at almost every age group. Um, in fact, men between the ages of 40 to 49 are six times more likely to die than women. 
of COVID. And between 30 and 50, they're like two to three times more likely to be hospitalized. And the reason why that is, is that testosterone and its derivatives actually drive an enzyme which allows the virus to enter. And that's why men do worse. And so there are these incredible trials coming out of Brazil in other areas, showing that if you use medicines which suppress testosterone, the patients do incredibly well, even in women. And so I just want to make sure that, like, we use a combination of therapies. Our protocols are on our website, um, flccc.net, in case your audience is interested in looking at our treatment protocols. But they're, they're highly evidence-based and highly effective. Um, and we learn from a network of colleagues who've done research and have gained clinical experience. And so... You know, I just want to point out, early treat, I mean, right now, today, the NIH does not have an early treatment option. They don't even recommend vitamin D, even though their, old, their own data over decades shows that vitamin D is, uh, uh, you know, vitamin D deficiency is highly common in the U.S. population, especially in the poor uh, and disadvantaged and minority uh, populations. And so they, they don't even recommend vitamin D. It's, it's really, again, another incredible anomaly of, of how they're approaching this. Well, and another reason I'm against uh, the vaccine mandates is because uh, COVID impacts different groups of people. There's such a disparity in the way it impacts people, you know, young versus old. You know, you start to get over the age of 80. It starts to get, you know, a lot more dangerous. If you're even my age, 36, I have a 99.97 percent so, chance so of survival. So what are you trying to make so sense to, here? Is yeah, that what you're trying to do? You're trying I, to make sense? I, I, I tried. I tried, Dr. Corey. So t- take us through. What, you know, especially from your experiences, what are the high risk groups of people, you know, who should be concerned, who less concerned, you know, take us through some of the the different, you know, the risk uh, calculation here. So number one, age is what you mentioned. So we know with every 10 years of age, um, it's a linear uh, sort of plot on the graph, like a diagonally rising one, like with every decile or 10 years of age, the mortality increases. So definitely you don't want to be old (laughs) and get this disease. The older you are, the worse you'll fare. That's number one, flat out. Number two is obesity. Um, And, you know, the more overweight and obese you are, you're going to do worse. Number three um, is diabetes. And, you know, those with diabetes, which actually causes a form of immunosuppression, they do worse. And so it's really obesity, which are, obesity is, in, you know, endemic in society, and at least the U.S. society and many others. Um, diabetes type 1 or 2 is very common. Um, and then obviously age. But those, those are kind of the three, the three ones that you sort of, that I worry about. Like when I see someone really overweight with diabetes who's coming in with COVID or an elderly patient, you know, I, I know I'm going to have a rougher time and may not succeed at saving them. Which is why, you know, we should be kind of looking at the totality of all this and trying to figure out the best ways to both mitigate and then also to potentially save lives for people who get COVID. You know, we're also seeing breakthrough cases with the vaccine. Is that something that's prevalent in the ICUs and in hospitals right now or are people showing up with vax or with breakthrough cases or? That's like another thing that I've been bemoaning. The data on that is is they're not sharing that data. So, you know, we have officials in the CDC who've been running around saying that 99% of the people in hospital are unvaccinated. That's not true. You know, they had data coming out of the CDC that as of June, 24% of the people in the hospital were, were, uh, were vaccinated, right? And so um, we know those numbers are higher. In Israel, it's 60% of people in hospital have been double vaccinated. Um, a lot of my colleagues in the ICU over the last couple of months, 
They do say that almost everyone is unvaccinated, but that's changing. And we know why that's changing. And it has to do with the timing of the vaccine. So Israel was the fastest out of the gate and they're starting to see waning efficacy. Right. And so I'm starting to see double vaccinated in the ICU now. I just had a patient last week, um, uh, double vaccinated, very sick in the ICU. And so um, they do seem the data seems to suggest that you're much less likely to get severe disease. But it's not a guarantee. And that's the other thing. That's why early treatment matters. These, you know, all of these people who've done the right thing, they've shown up for their shots, they've socially distanced and masked, and now they're getting sick and we're not giving them an option for treatment. I I mean, you really, it's it's unconscionable. You know, the vaccinated and the unvaccinated will need treatment. And that's what, you know, Florida has said as well, because they've been pushing the uh, monoclonal antibody treatments. And and they're saying they've seen, I I think, I believe one of the tweets I saw, uh, you know, I believe this is true because this is just going off the top of my head. I think it was almost over 50 percent were individuals who were vaccinated, who were still getting sick and then needed the monoclonal antibodies. Because, again, it's just sort of this weird situation that we're in where it's like they were originally trying to deny and push back against monoclonal antibodies because they just want people to go get vaccinated. You have to get vaccinated. You have to get vaccinated. But but what's not being part of that conversation is what then what about the people who get vaccinated and then still get really sick and need their life to be saved by you know either the monoclonal antibodies or, or you're saying ivermectin or some of these other things so it's like it's just it's just like it just blows my mind because there's just no rationale or any common sense anymore whatsoever again you you're pointing out all of these things that just don't make rational sense so and there's a lot of us right in society smart people pay attention and a lot of us are scratching their heads. And that's why when, when you see these behaviors, which are in, inconsistent with sound medical principles, and in, in fact, seem to violate them, right? Like this rush to vaccinate people who've already had the disease and mandate it, even if you've had the illness and have antibodies. I mean, when have we ever done that in history? And so they're making up this new rule and it's, it's, it's bizarre. And so... You're pointing out a lot of them, but but this early treatment one is the one that's actually causing the loss of life. The, the, the continued suppression of early treatment options, which I maintain is being done until these new oral antivirals can be rolled out by the big pharma companies. For every day that they continue to do that, we're going to lose a lot of people. And, and they better hope those oral antivirals work. Because I got to tell you, the one from Merck, it's called Molnupiravir already failed in the hospital. They tried it in the hospital and that, those trials failed. They're actually trying it now as an outpatient. And um, again, I don't care about what that shows because we already have a highly effective drug in ivermectin, but um, that's what I think is happening. They're waiting for those drugs to come in and save the day. But while they do that, I mean, incalculable loss of life and morbidity. And, and, and even if you survive the poor people with long haul COVID, I don't know if you have friends or family, but it's miserable long haul. I mean, that, that's a whole other epidemic in itself. And so, and by the way, we have a protocol for that. How frequent is long haul in terms of, you know, the people who get COVID? You know, the, the, the incidence ranges, but anywhere from 10 to 50%. The general uh, thought is somewhere around 30. That may be a little high, but um, that's what we're seeing from, you know, which is lingering effects of some amount. Um, I worry really about the more severe ones. You know, I've had like young people who like can't go back to work. You know, I have a 29 year old who's literally incapacitated, um, just with so much fatigue and dizziness and just feels unwell all the time. And, 
and he's really sad because he's a very functional, very active guy. And he, he just, um, you know, that's one case, but you know, I've had others now he, we've done good work with him. He's actually been our, my least satisfactory case. Cause I've had numbers of other cases where, uh, on our protocol, which is on our website, it's called I recover, uh, which is centered around ivermectin and some other uh, medicines. Um, we've had just incredible responses. And also that protocol is for those who are vaccine injured. We have tremendous responses in vaccine injury um, because, you know, ivermectin, right? One of the thoughts of why it's so effective is that it, it's, it's a drug that's sought to tightly bind to the spike protein. And that's why it prevents entry. So if it binds, it can't enter the cell, it can't replicate. And that's why it's a good prevention. And because the vaccines, right, they tell the cells to make spike protein, ivermectin actually binds to the spike protein. And so what we think is happening in the vaccine injury is that the spike protein is leaving the tissue of the arm and circulating and causing all of these you know, other uh, symptoms and if you give them ivermectin, they really respond. In fact, some of my most satisfying clinical experiences has been treating uh, patients who really felt unwell after the vaccine. And so um, I think your, your um, audience should, you know, if anyone out there has long haul, they should go to our website and look at their protocol for that. Well, and I think, too, you know, just for the, you know, what sort of underscores how dumb their public health officials are and the people in charge is how much they're undermining their own message with vaccines. Because if you're essentially saying unvaccinated people are the enemy, you have to fear them while simultaneously telling us how great the vaccines are and somehow prevents them from severe illness that that doesn't that doesn't really correlate right or that, that doesn't really square right you you, can, you can't you can't say unvaccinated people are the enemy and you have to fear them while also saying somehow vaccines are going to protect and save lives it, it that just doesn't that doesn't track so it's uh it's not, not holding up yeah so it's uh you know so for any anything else we're missing in this conversation that you, you want the folks listening to to know you know I just want to give like a, you know, I don't want to sound too hokey, but really a message of hope because, you know, like I said, a historic achievement in public health has been realized in Uttar Pradesh. They should be the model for the world, um, just like Mexico City's uh, Department of Health, the IMSS. They also could be a model for the world. I mean, we know how to solve this pandemic. So that's the positive message. Um, the tragedy is that we live in a very capitalistic society that's run on, on profit motives. And, and unfortunately, we have agencies that are captured, regulatory capture by those with financial interests. And, and, and that's why you're seeing the U.S. have such a tough time with this pandemic. I mean, we're getting hammered here. And, and I, you know, my organization, although we're a group of doctors and researchers, um, we've had to learn to do grassroots Meaning, you know, our normal dissemination of our knowledge was not working, lecturing and publishing papers. We've published a dozen, uh, actually two dozen if you count the group. It just wasn't registering. And so we found that this was a life-saving medicine. And so we tried to bring it, you know, with a website and press conference. And I gave that testimony, which luckily went viral. And it got an important message out. And we've continued to try to deliver that message. And so... The message is good. There is a solution. There are treatments. Um, and uh, you got to convince your doctors to learn about them and use them. Um, and it's working. Like I said, the prescriptions are going up. And so the early treatment message is getting out there. It's just uh, it's really painful to see how slow it is and how much resistance 
to it is, which is which is going to be a historic humanitarian crisis that was that that history will not be kind to these actions that you outlined, Lisa. They will not be kind. And resistance in terms of, I mean, there have been lawsuits of people suing on behalf of family members, uh, suing hospitals who won't provide uh, ivermectin and things like that. So to the point where it's become, you know, people have taken legal action to try to because they weren't able to get the prescription or they weren't able to get it. So you've mentioned uh, and you were the president founding member of the nonprofit called Frontline COVID-19 Critical Care Alliance. You've mentioned it throughout the show. Again, where can people go to find this information, to, to support you, to read some of the work? Yeah, so it's flccc.net. Um, and, it, you know, it was originally founded by Professor Paul Merrick, who's my dear friend and colleague and mentor of mine. And, you know, he was tasked, you know, asked a year ago, you know, why don't you put together a protocol? Cause he's famous for his uh, sepsis protocols. Um, and he's a giant in medicine. He's the most published uh, practicing intensivist in the world in the history of critical care medicine. And and all of us are well published and very well known. And we got together and we just have consumed everything COVID. And all we've tried to do is put together as effective treatment protocols we have, we can, and, and we have. And but our message and our expertise is is being attacked and suppressed, and it's it's sad. But we'll get there. FLCCC.net. Did I mention that? So FLCCC.net is the website. Dr. Corey, I appreciate your time. This was a fascinating, fascinating discussion. Yes. So thank you. I really appreciate the opportunity to share um, what people really need to hear. And so I thank you for that. I want to thank Dr. Pierre Corey again for such a fascinating and informative interview. And I want to thank you guys at home so much for listening. If you enjoyed today's show, please leave us a review and rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts. You can also find me on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at, at Lisa Marie Booth. Special thanks to our producer, John Cassio, writer Aaron Kliegman, and he also does our research, and executive producers Debbie Myers and speaker Newt Gingrich, all part of the Gingrich 360 network and team. Win the battle of your musty, damp basement with an Easy Breathe ventilation system. Take charge of your indoor air. It's easy. With basement ventilation to remove musty odors, pollutants, allergens, and airborne particles by 85%. An Easy Breathe ventilation system creates air exchanges for cleaner, fresher, healthy indoor air. And right now, get $250 off your own Easy Breathe ventilation system. Call 866-822-7328 or visit TakeChargeOfYourAir.com today. Your credit card should match your lifestyle. At Kemba Financial Credit Union, choose a card with benefits that work for you. For a limited time, all cards have 2% cash back on purchases and 0% interest on balance transfers for a year. Apply at Kemba.org. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. We are the voice of NASCAR. The green flag is in the air and we are underway. The great American race. The Motor Racing Network. NASCAR Cup, Xfinity, and Craftsman Truck Series Racing. Live on your hometown radio station and MRN or NASCAR.com. Martinsville, Talladega, the Chicago street course. We have the side-by-side action and last lap passes for the win. Photo finishes. Ryan Blaney will win. The voice of NASCAR, the Motor Racing Network. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. 
And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.